Bible should be, open up to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to pray and ask God to bless this time we have together. Lord, I thank you so much that we get to be here tonight. As I've said so many times, if I weren't here tonight, I, I probably wouldn't be praying, seeking your face. It's Sunday night. I'd probably just be doing lesser things for sure. I can humble myself and admit that. And yet you've, you've orchestrated the church to gather, to get into your word, to be prepared for, for Monday, for, for the later evening events tonight. And so I'm so thankful to be here with my friends studying your word, that they love you, that they've driven in the dark in the wintertime to seek your face. I pray you'd be honored in that. And I pray, Lord, that you now heal our hearts and, and our minds and even our bodies. Lord, there's battles going on. We're, we're here. We're here because there's, there's serious things at stake. There's lives, Lord. We all have children that, that we want to see grow up well. We have communities we want to see changed in Jesus' name. We have marriages that need to be fought for. We have our own battle of the mind, Lord, issues and decisions and mistakes that, that we're overcoming as individuals. All of that's so important. And so now, Lord, we, we come to the source of life, Jesus Christ and his word. And we pray, Lord, that you would settle in now and bless us to that end, that we would grow and mature. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. There's so many just immature sins in this room, Lord, my, myself included. I pray you'd forgive all of that, Lord, and Help us to be washed white now in your presence. Lord, I surrender myself to you as your teacher tonight, that you would use me to your glory and equip me, Lord, in ways that I am not equipped. Thank you again for your grace and mercy. Be glorified in all of our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 is where we'll pick up. And yesterday I studied all day long, okay, all day Saturday. Read it, studied it. I read it, I looked at it, I was like, oh man, I grabbed a commentary and read a commentary and read what this guy had to say, this dead guy, you know, okay, okay, and I read another commentary and I listened to a sermon, I read it again, and I, I couldn't find traction yesterday, I was like, what? I thought I had it for a second there, I looked at it once before and it made sense, and I thought I had some stuff to say, and all of a sudden Saturday, was, I couldn't do it. It could have been that college football was on, I don't know if that was the problem, but I kept, you know, I kept getting distracted, like, what's the score here? And I'm like, I don't even care, like really, and such. anyways, and so I studied all day, and then I came to the church here late night with the worship team, and I was upstairs in the office, and from six to nine, I was reading and putting together my notes, and it just didn't feel right, and I had three or four or five, I ended up with eight pages of notes, but I didn't like any of it. I didn't get it, I didn't understand the text. I wasn't, it wasn't, there was no traction under it. I knew I had some stuff to say, but I went to bed with this heaviness and even woke up. I said, Lord, you gotta wake me up early because I gotta sit and soak in this. And I don't know what's gonna happen. It's gonna be the worst day ever, worst sermon on the books, you know? And I, I don't get it. And the Lord finally spoke to me in the wee hours of this morning. What was going on? He said, Luke, the reason you don't get it and the reason why you, you don't have traction, the reason why you don't see it is because you're not doing it. Because you're about to teach a portion of scripture that as true as it is, it's very hard for you to live. It's hard for you to own this for yourself. It's very true and very important, but you're not doing it well. And I finally got it. Oh, there's a disconnect between Luke Fershed and this text, between what God is saying to do and what I am doing in my life. Have you ever read the Bible and then looked at your life and seen two different stories? Okay. No one? Awesome, awesome. Yeah. It, for me, though, it happens from time to time. I see a different story than what I read. And in this text, Jesus gives what I call hard coaching, a stern word of direction to his boys. And as he gives this word, it's on the heels of a question he asked Peter. Who do you say that I am? He said, well, you're the, you're the Christ of God. Oh, good word. And then he went on, Jesus said. You know what I'm going to do now that you know who I am? I'm going to Jerusalem 
where I will be tried, betrayed, and rejected, crucified, and raised on the third day. <laughs> Peter said, not so. I won't have it. I don't know if you understand. I know Taekwondo. I will deliver us from this. And he went against God's will, and he began to then be rebuked. And I would say in what I would call an elevated sermon, where the volume goes up, where Jesus goes into then sermon mode and preaches, and he kind of raises his voice because guess what? They weren't getting it. And I sit there with you as students today. Oh, I don't get it. I, I, I blow it. And when I'm about to read to you, I still am trying to find the line. And I would just have you with me. Let's find the line, not of religion and legalism, but where Jesus calls us to arms, he says, guys, you're living your life. Raise your hand if you're living your life right now. Anybody living their life? Okay. Raise your hand if somebody's living your life for you, kid. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're living your life. And the Lord would say to you, I want you to live your life, but I don't want you to worship your life. There is a fine line where you live your life to the full. You enjoy it. You seize the day. You do what you do. You expand and you go after things. But make sure you don't worship those things. Make sure those things don't consume you. And I find in my Christianity, this is a hard balance because I'm like 100% human. I don't know about you guys. I'm like all in. I'm here. I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fired up about here. And the Lord tells me, hey, I want you to be fired up about heaven. I'm like, Okay, you know, how, how do I do that and still be engaged here? And you've heard it said before, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. I don't think that's true. I think you need to be heavenly minded to become earthly good. And I want to redeem this. You see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it would have made sense to me after he had purchased our sanctification and salvation, grab these boys and take them all like an Avengers up to heaven. Oh, here we go, you know. Instead, he said, no, I'm, I'm going, you stay. Here? Why? I want you to live. I want you to shine and be witnesses. I want you to raise families. I want you to run businesses. I want you to live as if you're gonna go to heaven. And I want it to be seen in your life and your actions. And this is the challenge, this is the offer, this is the command from Jesus to you and I. But it came when Peter was thinking about man-centered things. Jesus rebuked him, he said, Peter, you're not thinking about God, you're thinking about man right now. When you're not letting me go to the cross and accomplish heavenly realities. This is what Jesus said to him, look at verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, that's what I want to do, well, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Stop right there, eyes are here, eyes up here. Jesus now gives them this command to lose their lives. Why? To, to find it. So I just need you to understand his, his, his heart. He wants them to find their lives. He doesn't want you to live less and be nothing and live in the closet. He says, no, I want you to find your life. Well, how do I do that? Lose it. Okay, you lost me. I find it, lose it. I find it, lose it. You know, find it, lose it. And lose it, find it. I don't, you know, you're, you're losing me. And Jesus says, no, no, follow me. This is very important. If you're a heavenly being, if you're tracking with me, it's been said before that we are all spirits having a human experience, okay? A lot of people think that humanity is like big time and all. This is a very temporal experience. We're spirits that will last forever and ever having a very temporal human experience. And we gotta be very careful how we play our cards here and what we think and what we do. And as you answer this question first, and you're all here at the 6 p.m. service, I imagine you got this one down. Who is Jesus to you? 
As you answer that question to you, who is he to you? If he is God, he's your savior, he's the alpha and the omega, beginning and the end, author and finisher, sustainer, creator of all things. If that's who he is to you, then guess what? That's gonna help you make right decisions moving forward in living your life. If that's not made, that answer's not formulated well, who Jesus is, then all of the decisions you'll make moving forward are up for discussion and debate. And you can go all kinds of different routes. But when Jesus is real, and you respond to him, you do things in your marriage that are right, maybe even difficult, making sacrifices one for another. You do things in your parenting that are right. You do things in your business that are right. You do things in your community that are right, and you don't do things in those relationships that are wrong when Jesus is real to you, when he is God. This question is so important because out of it comes all other answers to every question you get challenged with in your life. And I want you to understand this. Jesus wants you to live your life. As a matter of fact, the very first commands given to Adam and Eve were to live their lives, okay? Make some kids, grow some stuff, man. Have fun, subdue the earth, man. Have fun, just enjoy the earth and live here. And I I enjoy life more than most, probably just as much as the next guy. I love five guys and Dutch bros, you know, and I love golf and flying, and I love, I love doing things, adventure, you know, and staying up late. Well, actually, I used to when I was younger, and I like going to bed early, you know, and I love life, and so God would say to you, cool, just don't worship it. Just don't worship it, because if you end up worshiping life, you'll, you'll lose it. There are tricks and traps along the way. The devil hates you, and he hates me. And he seeks to destroy marriages and he seeks to destroy sanctity and recovery. He he seeks to destroy it by giving to you and I little tricks along the way that will advance us so we think. Little, Little devices and detours that are offered to you and I. And how do we stay focused while living on earth? Paul gave us some words in the book of Colossians chapter three. Probably my favorite verses out of the book of Colossians chapter three. He says this. He says, since then you were raised with Christ, that's who you are, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Listen, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, he says in verse four, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Did you hear that? Paul says, set your mind on things above. Just set your heart on things above. And when Christ, who, when Christ who is your life, just go there with me real quick. He assumes that if you're alive in Christ, that your entire life is Christ's. You don't live for yourself anymore. You're not the CEO and the boss. You now are subject to him, and it's a good thing. Christ who is your life appears. He will appear in glory. He'll bring with him gifts. That is how he wants us to live on earth. So again, finding this line enjoying one another relationships, experiences, yet not worshiping those and living with a heavenly mindset because that's where we're going. Look at verse 24. Here's the crux of, I believe, the, the teaching. For whoever desires to save his life will, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you decide to live for God, you'll live the abundant life. If you just let it go tonight, okay, Lord, I'm just gonna do what you want. I'm gonna do it. And the Lord gives us in his word what he wants. He tells us how to be husbands and wives. He tells us what to do, how to run businesses and to be friends. And if you just say, okay, he said it, I believe it, that settles it. Oh, you just found your life. By setting down your own selfish will and desires. Anybody still have a selfish will within them? Yeah, me, me too. That, that free will, it's there, man. Shows up and says, do this and do that. Jesus is careful, Peter. Careful, boys. 
and he gives them some stern teaching, hard coaching. I had to do this this week. I had some people that I was messaging with and texting, and they're making decisions in their lives and, and really blowing it. As a matter of fact, one person in particular said, I've been doing what is right for this many years, and I'm just going to do what I want to do for a season. And I just, I, I set my phone, I was like, are you for real? Man, if you do what you want, you're going to end up in Lincoln County Jail. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't follow your want-tos. Your want-tos are broken. Your feelers are busted. You will end up, you got to go through what this book says. Lay down, lay down your life. Why? So you'll find it. So you, God wants you to thrive and succeed. He wants you to be full and overflowing. Well, I'm just going to do it my way. No. Your way's stinky. You don't do it. If you seek to save that, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. Please, please don't. Reminds me of those little monkeys there in the Yucatan. As they would hunt those monkeys, they would take little drills and drill a hole in the side of a tree and then stuff in that tree there, a little aluminum foil or a piece of garbage, something shiny, nothing, it had no value at all. And these little monkeys say, oh, whoa, what's that? You know, and stick their hand in there and just barely get it in. When they grab that trash there, they can't get their hand out, it gets stuck. And all those little monkeys have to do in order to get free is just let go of that piece of trash and they're out of here. And these hunters would come up on these traps and see these monkeys that are still, you know, trying to get this trash out of the tree that's worthless and the monkey won't let go. And so the hunter comes along and just monkey stews them, you know what I'm saying? Just club on the head and monkey stew for everybody, you know, that night. And so too, in our own lives, there are things that we think are so important. My, my will or this, this thing or my feelings even. And the Lord would say, hey, just run it through the grid. What am I doing? Don't, don't seek your life here. Otherwise, you'll, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, if you choose to just say, okay, Lord, what does that look like? You'll find it. The joy. And I, I, I'll tell you what, this happens, by the way, I think in a, in, a, in a spirit of discernment where you just walk daily and just ask, Lord, is this right? Or is this what you want? What is it? Am I seeking my will? Am I, am I going over the top here? Am I, am, I, am I protecting myself or am I walking in the spirit? I don't, every day you have a challenge to, to make those right decisions. Am I giving up my life for you, Lord? And the Lord then will circumvent your decisions and bless you in that effort as you sacrifice for him what he's calling you to give up. I remember one time uh, in Ashland, I was working at the Greenleaf restaurant. I was making good money. I was waiting tables. I really enjoyed my environment there. It was cool people. And I'd been there about a year or two. And it was awesome. I just had no plans of changing. And on the way to church one morning, I stopped into this coffee house called the Good Bean of Ashland just to get a latte. And as I was waiting for my latte, I was looking back and forth at this funky rundown coffee house. And I thought to myself under my breath, I would never work here. You know, I just, I would never work. That's what I said. I remember saying it like this place is weird, you know, got my latte and went and worshiped Jesus. Two weeks later, the owner of the Good Bean Ashland contacted a friend of mine, Don Downing at the Ashland Christian Fellowship and said, I need a young man to manage my coffee house. It's gone into disarray and it's, it's for the Lord. I need someone to bring it back into order. Do you know any young men that could help me? And Don Downing contacted me and said, would you consider working at this coffee house? I said, which coffee house? And he pointed out, I said, what? No, are you kidding? Why would I do that? And I just didn't see it. It didn't make any sense to me. And Don said, well, this guy might needs someone to help him bring his business back in order and to the Lord. And I said, well, he's got the wrong guy, you know. And two weeks later, Don Downing said, so have you prayed about it? I said, no, I'm not praying about it. Why would I ever do that? You know, I'm, I don't want to do that. And then I had a conversation with my roommate, Jeremy Haskell. And Jeremy Haskell said to me, he said, hey, Luke, it's twice the responsibility and half the pay. It's totally from the Lord. <laughs> 
and it was like the light when I was like, oh yeah, what am I doing? Who am I to say, well, you know, you know, and the green leaf this, and you know, I loved the green leaf, and I still do. I thank God for Daniel Greenblatt and hiring me and blessing me there. But I knew, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm not my own. I'm being asked to help and to serve and to sacrifice and to go to the good bean of Ashland and to serve Mike and Mary Kell, who are still good friends of mine there in Jacksonville. And I had to weigh my motives though. What am I doing this for? For my benefit? Do I want a comfortable job? Or do I want twice the responsibility and half the pay for the Lord? And when I saw it in that frame, oh, it got exciting. And I remember I got trained to make bagels. My first day on the job there at the Good Bean of Ashland started at three in the morning, okay? Learning to make bagels for Jesus, okay? You know, and learning to do that. And here's my point in that. When I look back on those days, I learned so much. And you know what God did? He blessed me. He advanced my character at the Good Bean of Ashland more than he would have ever been able to at the Greenleaf restaurant had I just stayed there and maybe made a little more cash, okay? Been a little more comfortable, but my character grew at the Good Bean of Ashland. I learned some things the hard way. And I'm so thankful for the lessons that I learned there, but it came from being able to see heavenly perspectives in my earthly reality. What am I doing right now? What, what, what am I concerned about? I wanna be obedient. Okay? And this becomes very basic. Again, if you have a job description right now, you're a, a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad, you're, 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 you're a business owner, employee or employer, or you're a U.S. citizen, or you're, I, I, got, I, got some, I got some people I need to serve, some things I need to be responsible over. Lord, what do I do? He'll tell you exactly what to do. Don't seek to be more comfortable. Don't, 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 don't seek to have a better now right here, but be obedient to what the Lord would have for you. Look at verse 25. We saw this last week. He said, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? That's a crazy question. It's almost like Jesus is making stuff up right now. He's like, guys, you could gain the whole world and it wouldn't even help you. And I wonder if, you know, Judas Iscariot's like, well, give me a try, you know? Like, you know, you could gain, you could have everything in the world and, and yet lose your soul. And yet we would wonder, well, really? I kind of, don't mind getting more stuff. He goes right to the heart issue, which is our flesh. We, we want more stuff. We want more comfort. We want to expand down here. And Jesus says, be careful. If you, even if you got that, your soul is in jeopardy. Reminds me of, of Jeff Bezos. You guys know Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon. He goes to the 11 a.m. service. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. He died. I wish he did for many reasons. But, but Jeff Bezos, you can... You guys saw him in the, in the news this weekend. He actually became the richest man in the entire world, okay, this, this weekend because of Black Friday. He owns Amazon and people bought stuff and he didn't, he wouldn't have to show up to work. And he made, he made $2.4 billion in two days, okay? That's B with a B, okay, billion, billion dollars. And that amassed his surplus of finances to $100 billion. The only person to ever have done that thus far is Bill Gates in 1999. And now Jeff Bezos has $100 billion dollars. Not Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Amazon itself is worth all kinds of money as well. I, I did some light internet research on Jeff Bezos to see if, if he had his number one debt, though, taken care of, his soul debt. I, I couldn't find any history of being a Lutheran or a Catholic or, you know, growing up Protestant. I couldn't find any of that on the internet. I don't know. I don't know him. I pray that he would indeed have the number one debt uh, taken care of in his life. Uh, here's the deal, though. Those dollars that Jeff Bezos has, verse 25 says, for what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? You know how much of that billions Jeff is gonna take to heaven with him? N not, even, not even a cent. 
Not even a little bit. Not a zero, zip, zilch, nothing. As a matter of fact, if you take 100 billion, a one and a bunch of zeros, he's going to take one of those zeros okay, with him. That's what he gets when he dies. Like, I got oh, I got nothing. And Jesus would say, careful. You, you could actually gain a whole bunch down here. But in so doing, you're completely distracted from what's at stake. And you and I might laugh and say, well, I'm not going to be a hundred billionaire guy. I don't have to worry about that. There are offers, opportunities that the devil will give you that your flesh will say, ooh, ooh, that looks good. And you'll reach out and grab that trash. You'll grab that foil. You'll grab that sparkly thing. And the devil would say to you, I want to advance you and grow you. And I want to bless you if you just take up this illicit relationship. If you just take up this opportunity that's maybe a little bit sketchy, this is going to bless you. And you're like, ooh, and the Lord's like, don't, what are you doing? Don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to destroy your soul. The Lord gives us direction for every decision we make. As a matter of fact, look at verse 26. He continues to give direction. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. He's saying, guys, I'm coming... Don't live for this world. When I show up, I'm bringing glory. My glory, the Father's glory, heaven's glory, the angel's glory. It's going to be a throwdown. And if you're ashamed of me before I get there, dude, I'm not going to be able to give you a party hat. You know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the same for you. Now, I didn't say this last week, but if you guys know the context, he's speaking to the 12 disciples. One would betray him and never come back, Judas. All would deny him and desert him in the garden. All of these guys would have a huge blunder on their record moving forward. They would, all 12 of them, be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Now, I say that because you and I have a proclivity and a tendency in our flesh to also be ashamed of him. In this, it's just in our flesh. The devil wants to sit on you and threaten you for letting your light so shine before men. You're in good company, dare I say, if that's the case. And yet the Lord would say to you, hey, 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 hey. I'm the boss. Don't be ashamed of me. You represent me well on earth, and when I return, I'll have a party hat for you, okay? I'm gonna call you to my table. It's gonna be legit. If you're ashamed of me, before I get there, there might not be a place for you at the table. What? This is one of the reasons why when I study this and prepare to teach it, I'm like, Lord, am I? There's been times in my life where I've been ashamed of you, where I haven't, I haven't towed the line, I haven't done the right thing or said the right thing, or I've held back my cards and played them to my chest. As a matter of fact, this morning, a friend of mine told me a story before the first service, and I don't want to embarrass him, so I'm just going to give you his initials. His initials are uh, John Bales, and uh, so uh, he sits over here on my right, and, and, and John was here at the 9 a.m., and he said, Luke, i got to tell you a crazy story, because he's reading the text throughout the week and thinking about this, and he was decorating his home for Christmas, you know, putting up lights and stuff, and he had this big old Jesus is Real shirt on there in Walport, you know, and, and he needed some equipment at the hardware store, and so he's about to go down the hill to the hardware store, and he decided to, you know, maybe throw a jacket on, because the, yeah, he didn't want to offend anybody. That's what he was thinking. I just like, yeah, I just, I don't want to be crazy, you know, go to, the, go to Copeland there, and I'll just put this, and the Lord, as he was putting his jacket on over the Jesus' real shirt, the Lord asked him, John, are you ashamed of me? You know, no, 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 I don't even need a jacket, you know, and, and John reacted properly, and said, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm actually not ashamed of you, I, what am I doing, you know, and, and then as John went to the store, that's cool, he, he overcame that temptation to kind of just put the, put it under the bushel, as he went to the store, he walked into Copeland Lumber there, and the first person that saw him pointed at him and said, hey, I like that shirt, man. That's a cool shirt. And as he went around and got his stuff and he was walking out to his car and got in his car, somebody else said, hey, I like that shirt, man. And he got all these compliments from what I would say were divine appointments. People who were at Copeland doing their own thing and needed a reminder, needed someone to stand strong and be tall and to let them be reminded that Jesus is real. 
And when Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me, it's not just that we're not ashamed of him, so he would use us in today's crazy world. And I get so many compliments, and not every one of them is good, but compliments on the way that, that I use my Facebook to, to bring Jesus to the center. And I see you guys using your media to, to bring Jesus in verses and thoughts that are helping people look upward, and not everyone appreciates that. But I'll tell you what your Heavenly Father does. And you say, I'm just gonna do this. I'm not gonna be ashamed of you. Again, the disciples would make huge errors here. I'm sure you and I will, if not in the future as well. Look at verse 27. He gives a, a promise. He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. I think he kind of rounds off this harsh teaching, this stern warning with the reminder. He's like, guys, don't be ashamed of me. I'll be ashamed of you. Don't seek your life or you'll lose it. Don't gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Don't do that. And by the way, as I look around here, there are some standing with me who will not die before they see the kingdom of God reminding them it's going to go well for you. It wouldn't go well for Judas Iscariot. He would tap out, sell out early, and not recover. But for the rest of the guys, they would indeed see the kingdom of God in their lives and therefore validate and verify the very lives that they were living, as difficult as they were. And I believe they needed to hear this because the life that they were about to live would be very difficult. All of them would be challenged. All of them would be kicked out of Jerusalem eventually. All of them would suffer at the hands of men, religious systems. And Jesus said, hey, guess what? You're going to see the kingdom of God. How are they going to see the kingdom of God? By hanging with Jesus. The devil doesn't want you to hang with Jesus, wants you to get all caught up in other things and become part of a subculture, you know, thug life here, and this idea there, and this rich culture over here, and just to miss it. Jesus says, no, hang with me. And you're going to see heaven. You're going to see glory. And I'm not exactly sure what Jesus was talking about. Was he talking about his death, burial, and resurrection? They did see that. Was he talking about his death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension into heaven when the cloud came? They, they saw that. Or was he talking about directly what happens next? Because Jesus is about to take Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and they're going to see heaven opened up. And they're going to see God's glory. Right on the heels of a kind of a, a rebuke time, where they felt like they were maybe called out on their foolishness, a, a stern warning. And Jesus so gives them this hope. Don't be like Jeff Bezos, man, getting it all here and having nothing on judgment day. But instead, stick with me. Did you know that for the believer, for the Christian, no matter what you have, this is the worst it'll ever get for you. Okay? But for the non-believer, no matter what you have, this is the best it will ever be. It only gets worse. For the believer, though, this is the worst it will ever be. After this life, oh, mercy. Oh, it's, it's, it's joy and peace and love and life in the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus warns these guys and says to them at the end, there's going to be those who will see the kingdom of God. Look at verse 28 as we transition into the next part of what happens in this particular story. I think they're connected in Luke's gospel for a reason. It says, now it came to pass about the eighth day, a week later, after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, it doesn't say what those eight days were like. Jesus just called Peter Satan, said, get behind me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You're way off target. And then he kind of like jumped down his throat 
And I wonder if for those eight days, Peter was just like, I don't know if I'm in the right career, you know? I don't know if I, if I, if I belong here, you know? And, I, I want, and after eight days, I see Jesus saying, hey, boys, let's go. Are we in trouble again? No. No. You will be in trouble in a minute, but right now you're not. <laughs> and, and Jesus, if you would, puts his arm around them. And I believe displays and models the heart of the Father so well for the rebellious for the failures, for the has-beens, for the guys that make mistakes. Jesus shows up and says, hey, you wanna go, wanna go do some fun stuff? I have three kids and, and they need to be disciplined and discipled often, whenever they're awake, basically. But I love them, I love them. I, I discipline because I love them. And sometimes I love to discipline them and, 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 and have them do timeouts or, you know, burpees or push-ups or, you know, give me, you know, money or whatever the case is. But what's really fun is if I can see their hearts are, are tracking with me, is I'll, I'll, I'll forgive them right away. You know, hey, you owe me 20 burpees. And then when they do one burpee well, that's enough. I forgive, their, I forgive the other 19. Because I want them to understand truth and order and righteousness, but I also want them to know grace and love and mercy. I don't want them to miss that. I believe that truth and love and grace and mercy are one package. And here are these boys hanging out. Oh, man, we blew it, dude. We have no idea what's going on. And now Jesus says, come on, let's go to the mountain. And if you're here tonight and you've been blowing, you've been doing your own thing, you haven't been heavenly minded, you've been earthly minded, you've just been a, making, making a mistake of your life, tonight would be the night that the Lord would come to you and say, would you, would you like to go deeper? Can I take you to the mountain? Can, can we go pray? Can I show you some things that will change your life forever? And you need to reconcile tonight and say, yeah, that's me, Lord. I need to be changed forever. I need further discipleship. Now, he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to this transfiguration that we now call it. Why did he take Peter, James, and John and not the other nine? Most believe it's because Peter, James, and John would be the leaders of the early church, that these guys would be the writers of the Bible, that these guys would be those pillars in the church and needed to see Jesus in his glory in this way, and I agree with that. Other people say he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain because left alone, they were the most likely to cause trouble unsupervised. <laughs> you know, Peter, I can't, I can't leave you guys down here, man. You're going to wreck stuff. You know, Peter, James, and John. Peter was always cutting people's heads off, and James and John were trying to firebomb towns, you know, and in Jesus' name, he's like, I'm going to go to the mountain. You three got to come with me, you know. And so whether he was pouring into them and discipling them, yes, or whether they were prone to wander, yes. Either way, he takes them up on the mountain. And here's what happens. Look at verse 29. As he prayed, and I meant to I have a whole page of notes on that, very sentence, and I don't have time to develop it. Maybe next week we'll, we'll look at it. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah. Stop right there, eyes up here. Uh, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew both record this story as well, describing that as he prayed, his face changed and his clothes changed, that his face became like the sunshine, and his clothes became like lightning bolts. Mark tells us that his clothes became so white while he was praying that no launderer could ever get him that white. I'm pretty good at whites, you know, with the bleach and stuff, and I separate. I'm not bad. I'm pretty good. Mark says, no, no, no. Nobody can get clothes as white as they got while Jesus was praying. I just want you to consider that right now. If your life's maybe dark or things aren't right or there's been some issues and think maybe your countenance is dark. If something's, you know, your life's overhead. How's your prayer life? 
You know, have you, have you gone to the mountain to, to, to pray recently? Or do you just, you know, pray at night and, or pray before you eat and you know, pray when things get real hot? Jesus was transfigured, metamorphosized is the word in the Greek there, through prayer. Prayer changes two things for sure, one of two things for sure. It changes your circumstances, okay, when it's God's will, but it also changes your countenance. If you spend some time in prayer seeking the Lord, there's something you just, I can tell a person who's been seeking the Lord, can you not? Your spouse can tell when you've been seeking the Lord. You can tell when you've been seeking the Lord. When you go seek the Lord and get in his presence, you're different. It shows you shine. Now again, I want you to see this in context. Jesus just told the boys, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Peter just responded, that's a bad idea. Jesus just responded, you better be ready to lose your own life. And now they're all processing this new information. He's gonna die and he wants us to lose ours too. Anybody else want to go to monster.com and get a new job? You know, I'm not quite sure if I want to go with this guy. You know, who knows what they were thinking? And so Jesus says, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's go up to the mountain. I want to show you some stuff. And I believe when he said, some of you who are here will not die until you see the kingdom of God. He was showing them a sneak peek of things to come, of what reality is really like, of who Jesus really is, in order that they would be able to toe that line and say, oh, wow, you're pretty cool in your earthly form. But in your heavenly form, lightning bolts out of your, you know, out of your SBC hoodie. How do you do that, you know? Your, your, your face was the, the bright as the sun. By the way, this is a miracle, right, when Jesus is transfigured? It's actually, it's actually a lesser miracle. The greater miracle is that Jesus wasn't transfigured in this way all the time. Okay, the greater miracle is that Jesus was cloaked in humility. Like he put on this suit that kept all that in. The greater, the greater miracles that Jesus spent 33 years walking in normalcy. And for a moment there on the mountain, all of a sudden reality shined through. And that's how it really is. The miracle was that he wasn't always that way. And he just gave him a sneak peek. Guys, do you think life's pretty cool? Yeah, super cool. Guess what? It's even more cool with me. Do you, do you think life now is, is all there is to it? Yeah, I want it to be here. Okay, trust me. Let go of the stuff. Don't hold on too hard. Do what I say. There is more to come. Life is going very quickly. Here, that in this particular scene, we see that Moses and Elijah show up with him on the mountain of transfiguration. Okay, we don't exactly know why it's Moses and Elijah. It could have been Daniel and David. It could have been Caleb and Elisha. It could have been anybody, but it's these two. I would say for these reasons. Number, number one, Elijah and Moses both had interesting deaths. Elijah was taken in a chariot of fire, just kind of taken to heaven. The Bible says that Moses was taken by God out to Mount Hebo and buried there himself, and they both kind of had this interesting death in, in their lives as they lived. Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets, and if you know anything about the Bible, all of the law and all of the prophets are all pointing to Jesus. And so now Jesus is here. He's like, I'm here now. And the two reps that, that represent those camps show up and they are there conversing with him. And, and that's probably why they're there. The book of Revelation actually predicts that there'll be two witnesses. Most believe it's these two cats, Elijah and Moses. And they're all talking about Jesus. I just love the centrality of the message, Jesus. Here's a couple side notes though that you need to put into your thinker. A lot of people wonder about death and dying, what happens after we die. There are lots of ideas out there. I, I, I challenge anybody with an idea to run it through what the Bible teaches, though, okay? You can have all kinds of ideas. They're just ideas. What does the Bible teach? The first idea that comes up that people wonder about death is, is there indeed life after death? Is there a hereafter? Do, a lot of people love to believe, nope, this is it. This is where we get it all. After this, we become nothing. I said, well, where do you get that? What, who taught? Well, that's what I want to believe. Eh, you don't get a want to believe, and, and it's true. Here in this text, we see that there's an afterlife. 
Elijah and Moses. Elijah had been dead for 900 years. Moses had been dead for 1,400 years. Jesus shows up in his transfigured, glorified body, and these two guys show up as Moses and Elijah. There is an afterlife. There's more to come. If you're here tonight wrestling with that question or have somebody out there say, you think there's more we still live? The verse is right here if you're looking for a verse. Not just that, but there's this other idea about life after death, that we come back as a reincarnated being. A lot of people love that idea. We think that we die, we come back as something based on how we live. And I've told you guys this before. If you think that you're gonna come back in the next life based on how you lived in this life, that's a real bad idea. Just be honest with yourself. If you believe you're gonna come back as something different based on how you lived in this life, you're gonna come back in the next life as a stick, okay? Like, be honest, like, how would you live? Oh, I did pretty good. No, you didn't. There's so much stuff that you haven't told anybody, so much stuff, and if you get rewarded based on how you, you're gonna not just be a stick, you're gonna be a stick underwater, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're gonna be, it's not gonna go well. Reincarnation is the worst idea in the world for honest people. Okay, for honest people, like, oh yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. The third thing I would point out, not only is there life after death, there is, and it's not reincarnation because these guys are here, they're, they're Moses and Elijah. This might be the best part just to kind of trip out on, is that when Moses and Elijah showed up, it doesn't say that they needed introductions. They didn't have the, you know, name tags on their, you know, pocket, I, I am Elijah, Hi, hello, my name is Elijah, you know, and you didn't see Jesus saying, John, Elijah, Elijah, John, and P Peter, <laughs> P Peter Moe and Mo Peter, you know, you know, introductions, none of that. They just knew. I know, that's Moses and Elijah. How did they know? Let me just tell you a little bit about heaven, okay? It's, it's, it's going to be better than it is here. It's not going to be worse. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be dumber, okay? Get down. Who are you? You, know, you look kind of familiar. No. <laughs> not only will you in heaven know those who've gone before you, you'll know them. You'll know everyone that you didn't know when you get there. Do you understand the, the, the joy and the peace and the celebration heaven is gonna be? You ever been in a room before where you know nobody? It's not that fun. It's kind of awkward. I don't know anybody. When you get to heaven, you're gonna know every single person. You're gonna know them deeply and well. You think heaven's gonna be boring or weird? It's gonna be, it's gonna blow your mind. The, the, the depth of connection you'll have with everybody. Not just your loved ones, yes! You'll know them. But all of the saints, I mean, the, the amount of fellowship, because by the way, just so you know, the, the, the highest point of life, highest experience is relationships. It's fellowship, it's one with another. It's, it's things done with people. It's, it's, really, it's, it's the way it works. Everything else is outside, it's trivial, it's, it's fleeting, it doesn't, people. And when we get to heaven, it's gonna be full of people. And there'll be no sin and no pain and no weirdness, no name tags, we'll just know each other. Oh, I know, and I'll know you in, in glory and in perfection and in love. See, Jesus had just asked these guys, I want you to trust me. I don't want you guys to, 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 to wig out on life. I don't want you to get weird. And they were struggling with that. Oh, I don't know if I can trust you. He's like, okay, let's go to the mountain. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you guys a little, little taste test. Because you're gonna be challenged daily with selling out, with inferior things and thinking less thoughts and the stinking thinkings and all the, all the woulda, shoulda, couldas that plague you. 
Jesus said, I don't, I don't want you to get caught up in this world. I want you to live for the next. I want you to live well. Life is very short, isn't it? Isn't it weird? I'm so glad to be here tonight with you guys, but, but that won't always be the case. We won't always be here. Here. The, the, our days are numbered, all of them. And yet Jesus says, I, I know, I know that. And I have got a whole banquet lined up for after. I have got a whole eternity. Don't be deceived. Live now fully. Don't be ashamed of my words. The world needs to see Jesus' real shirts, needs to understand and walk with Jesus' real people. Elijah and Moses show up. As a matter of fact, just to chase this down just a little bit more, look at verse 31. It says, these guys appeared in glory and they spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. There's some weird stuff going on in verse 31. <laughs> These guys are showing up and talking. What are they talking about? Jesus dying. Okay? It's very, very important you see this. Jesus' death isn't an afterthought. It's a forethought. That's what he came to do. He's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is what delivered, by the way, the children of Israel from Egypt in their exodus. When it says that he's talking about his decease, the Greek word there is exodus, his departure. These guys are talking about his departure. How are you, you going to get how are, what, what, In Jesus' death, in his exodus, he, just like in the Lamb of God in the book of Exodus, sets you and I free from our own bondage of this world. The shame, the sin, the brokenness, the fickleness, these bodies, man broken. Mo Moses and Elijah, what are they talking about? You know, climate control, making Jerusalem great again. You know, <laughs> no, no. They're talking, did you notice the other word it used there? They're talking about his departure, his exodus, his death, that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Interesting word. We don't see a lot of accomplishment in death. It's, it seems like, oh, death, that's not, not in, not in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, death is the finish line. It is the accomplishment. It is, it is where we all find ourselves exodus from this world and then entered into eternity with him that will be forever and ever. It's where we're going if you're a Christian here tonight. This is what they're talking about. This is the guarantee. Follow me. Don't get too hyped up about this world. Don't make mistakes here and think it's all about this. Don't be Jeff Bezos, but instead, live for me. Don't be ashamed. And I'm just gonna give you this encouragement, Jesus says, that you might know these things and live them well. Verse 32, but Peter. <laughs> you can circle that. <laughs> but Peter. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, just saw and lost. Hogs. This whole thing's going on. Lightning bolts coming out of Jesus' clothes and sun coming out of his face and they're shooting the bright lights. Like, oh, turn the light on, stop it. You know, Peter's getting mad. It says Peter and the boys were heavy with sleep and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him. And while he was, and then it says, he's, he's hardly, where am I, verse 33? And then it happened as they were parting, these two guys take off back to heaven or wherever they were from Jesus, that Peter, Peter says to Jesus, hey, master, it's good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Mo and one for Elijah, and not knowing what he said. The gospel of Mark says, Peter, 
not knowing what to say, said. Okay, just, just a little, little life hack. When you don't know what to say, say that. Okay, you just, I mean, just go there. Just do it. Okay, as an adult, as a healthy adult, you don't want to say, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> just hold your tongue. Matter of fact, the Proverbs say even a fool is considered wise when he says nothing. Okay, very wise person. You know, he didn't say, you know, when you don't know what to say, don't say nothing. This is a, a, a prophetical word for some of you husbands, okay, right now in your marriage. You know, you don't know, I don't know what to say. Just keep it, just, you know. Peter decides to say stuff. Hey, hey, gay God, Jesus, I got an idea. Let's make some tents. One for Mo, get him back here. One for Elijah and one for you, and we'll just have a little tea party here. It's going to be great. While he's saying this, and the mistake he's making is that he's putting Elijah and Moses on the same level as Jesus, kind of like, let's, let's make identical tabernacles, and let's, let's do He didn't know what he was saying, and I love Peter. By the way, Peter, Peter piped up a lot, okay? Peter Piper piped up. That's what he did, and the Lord would redeem that. The Lord would give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven and anoint him. Holy Spirit would descend upon him. And the very first time with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter would preach, 3,000 people would be saved. He would redeem his natural giftings, even though they were a little rough around the edges at first. So too, God's made you who you are and your personality traits, your experience. He's made you just like you are because he wants to use you through the power of his Holy Spirit to touch lives. You might right now be frustrated with who you are where you grew up and how life's gone for you. I don't really like myself. I don't like all this. Hey, give it to the Lord. Let him redeem you and use you who you are. Get comfortable with yourself as you give yourself to the Lord. You might not be edumacated. You might not be rich. You might not have all the answers. The Holy Spirit can use you if you would just surrender yourself to him as you are. Peter would get redeemed eventually. But here he's, he's saying some stupid stuff. And uh, it says, while he was saying this, verse 34, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud and a voice came out from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. I love God, how he high controls Peter at this point. Peter's saying dumb stuff. Jesus is looking like, really, Pete? That's what you gotta say? That's it? And right then the father shows up with a cloud, knocks him on the ground and says, stop talking, start listening. It's Jesus you need. Hear my son, I'm proud of my son. My son knows what he's doing. Trust him. This is the big issue tonight for you. Do you trust him? I love him and I wanna trust him, but I struggle. Lord, help my unbelief. Help me, Lord, to walk with you. And the father would come alongside of you and all of your ramblings and all of your babblings and all of your attempts, everything you're doing in your life right now, and he might just overshadow you and push you on the ground and say, stop it. Less talky, more listening. Less doing, more learning. Jesus. The Bible says in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus actually came up to them because they're on the ground afraid, and he grabs them and says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. Jesus alone was left. No Moses, no Elijah, no clouds, no lightning, just Jesus. And I think the Lord is so kind to take them on this path to get them right back to where they started, with, with Jesus. Some of you are here tonight, that's how you started and life got weird for you and things happened and challenges arose and you grabbed the thing and the monkey thing and you, you, know, you made some mistakes and, and whatever and, 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 and through all that, the Lord's like, I'm, I'm, I'm still right here. I'm right here with you. And if there's failure in your past and there's struggle in your present, Jesus is enough and he will take you down those dark roads and show you glimpses of heaven along the way and when it says in verse 36, when the voice ceased, Jesus was found alone. That's all you need. You don't know how much you need Jesus until Jesus is all you have. Verse 36 says, but they kept quiet and they told no one in those days any of the things which they, they had seen. Matthew uh, chapter 17, Jesus says, don't tell nobody what just happened. 
Not yet. Not until after the resurrection. And when Peter would write his epistles, and when John would write his epistles, and when James would preach his sermons, they would reference this day. Later on, they would say, guys, we're not, we're not making stuff up. We saw the glory. We know what we're talking about. This is crazy. Did you know that Jesus took Peter, James, and John aside privately three times? Once here, once with Jairus and his, his daughter who had died, and then one more time in the future in the Garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus would die. Every time that Jesus took the boys aside, it was revolving around the issue of death, the issue of, of life ending, because Jesus knew that these boys, their lives would end in glory, that, that Peter would be crucified upside down just after his wife would be crucified in front of him. And as he looked at his wife and gave her encouragement, he said, woman, behold your Lord, you got this. And, and it killed her. And then he would go next. How could you face that? Because he knew, he knew. It's not about here, Jeff Bezos. It's not about this. It's about, there's more to come. I'm, I love Jeff Bezos, okay? Don't get me wrong. And Jesus was preparing Pete and James. James would be the first of the 12 to die by the sword, the first of the martyrs of the original 12. King Herod would, would cut him in half the long way. John would be boiled in oil, not dying, and then banished to the island of Patmos, standing in integrity and faith, give, receiving the book of the Revelation in that place. The Lord says to you and to me, don't try and save your life here. You'll lose it. But instead, seek to live your life for me and for my glory, and you'll find it. I'm going to have Marty and Nancy come up and lead us in a communion song. We're going to respond now to Jesus, and I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes and to bow your heads and to pray with me. What has the Lord walked you through? He's right there with you. I need you to soften your heart to the Lord tonight. Maybe you've been through a thing or two. Maybe you feel like a martyr. You've been through some stuff, man. You lost some stuff. Maybe it was the world against you. Maybe you're here tonight and you would be honest with me and say, I've, I've made some huge mistakes. I, I, I really, I, I wrecked my, my marriage. I, 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 I offended my children. I, I didn't do what, I, I'm, I'm a mess. And the Lord would say to you, let's go to the mountain. Don't lose hope. Elijah and Moses would confirm the whole deal is in Jesus Christ. It's not about, it's Jesus alone. It's not you and your perfection. It's not you and your, your awesomeness. You don't have perfection or awesomeness. That's why we take communion every Sunday to remind ourselves who is king. It's him. So I'm gonna ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray and, and, and respond. Father, we're just gonna simply respond to Jesus tonight and come to the table and commune receive within ourselves again the elements, the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus, that our souls might be healed tonight from our own fears and mistakes and pains. Because this world is a trap, it's a trick. It's full of pain and sorrow, it's just difficult, it is. And yet you take us to the mountain. You say, come away with me, daughter. Let me wipe those tears. Let me show you that I have a plan. Hang on tight. I've got a plan. 
you encourage us as we journey to not give up, to not cast off restraint, to not be ashamed of you, Lord. If there's anybody here tonight that's been ashamed, been just living less, hasn't been doing it right, just tonight, may tonight be the night where we say enough's enough. Take my life. Just let go of the trash tonight. Get your hand out of the trap. Trust Jesus. And maybe you've grabbed onto a trap inadvertently. You didn't mean to, but you just, you fell into some sort of thought process. You're just stuck. You're in a cycle. You, just, you need healing. You need, you need to see Jesus glorified. And you need to drink deeply of his grace that you might be healed and live your life. Even as you trust him and, and you're okay losing it. If you need to respond to the Lord tonight and just say, Lord, I, I, I want to I lose my life that I might find it. I'm scared, though. I, I, I hang on tight. I, I got questions. But I want to lose, I want to, I, I want to lose it to find it. Lord, would you teach me how to do that? Would you just raise your hand right now if you're willing to do that with the Lord? Put your hand up and just say, Lord, just show me, guide me. What does it mean for me? in my marriage, in my parenting, in my singleness? What does it mean to lose my life, to stop living for me? Stop interjecting my own thoughts, my own inferior worldly ideas, my own opinions. Just raise your hand if you're done with that. You just, Lord, I want to do that. I want to live for you. Help me, Lord, to live for you. Raise your hand right now if you need the Lord's help to live for him. You want to be blessed in your marriage and in your business, and you want to live life, but you don't want to do it your way. Lord, you see the hands. I pray you'd heal in Jesus' name minister right now just bless save souls tonight Lord minister to your people we love you Jesus you can put your hands down as we come to the table we know that his promises are yes and amen because of his love for us the blood spilled the body broken it is all in Jesus and Jesus alone and as you come to the table tonight and take your elements would you look upon them and you look at the the crackers got holes in it it's pierced just like your savior was pierced for you it's got stripes on it it's discolored and disfigured just like your savior was striped and beaten maimed for you and as you take that juice and elevate it and say lord you are high and lifted up that my sins might be paid for that i might be secure in jesus and would you worship him and say lord i trust you help me and honor him at the table of communion tonight, examining yourself and proclaiming his death until he returns. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness towards us, that you didn't waver. Even when Peter had objections and didn't like your way, you didn't balk. You said, no, Peter, it's got to be this way. That when Elijah and Moses showed up, you said, it's got to be this way, boys. Got to exodus out of here. Accomplish some stuff in Jerusalem. <laughs> thank you, Lord. We love you so much. Be blessed now as we come to the table. Heal, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.